It's that time, the Betting Predators Podcast, where our main objective is hunting down the best bets for you. I'm your host, Sleepy Jay. You guys can find me on Twitter at Sleepy Jay underscore pregame. Joined here by the fantasy football expert, Chris Deli. You guys can find him on Twitter as well, at Mad Journalist. It is M-A-D-D, Journalist. And you can find us both on the best sports betting information site on the web, pregame.com. All right, Chris, here we go. We're going to go, we're going to talk fantasy football wide receivers, went ahead to the quarterbacks, went ahead to the running backs. So now it's our turn to go ahead and go through uh, all the wide receivers in the league. We'll go through, we'll talk about, you know, where you have these guys tiered. And I think that that's, you know, really important. Uh, I want to go through, talk about all the guys that we pretty much are going to, you know, be plugging into our season longs, plugging into our DFS. And then uh, maybe we can get a little bit deeper uh, as we go throughout the podcast. So we end up doing quarterbacks. We end up doing the running backs. Uh, we haven't done the tight end yet, defense yet. Chris and I will go ahead. We'll do that. Try to get that out as soon as possible. Well, Chris, I want to start out uh, with your tier one wide receivers. My number one wide receiver, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say it, is my guy, Devontae Adams. I think he's the best wide receiver in the league right now uh, because I have a feeling that he and Rodgers are just they're in a zone, dude. And I don't think that there's going to be really anything to stop those two guys um, from really become a dynamic. I think Rodgers is going to be a very good quarterback in, in fantasy, and I think Adams is going to be the number one wide receiver. I hope I'm right. I'm not sure if you agree, but uh, where do, what do you have right now with your tier one wide receivers? Yeah, I mean, I, I've had no disagreements with you on that. If you remember from last year's positional podcast we did before the season started, I had Devontae Adams number one, where most people had Michael Thomas number one in the rankings. And even though Thomas struggled with injuries, I think it was clear that Adams was the right call there. Uh, just the connection with him and Rodgers. I mean, you talk about touchdown regression with a lot of guys that, hey, you know, these guys can't sustain this type of uh, touchdown level production and these touchdown rates. But I think Devontae Adams is one of the few guys in the NFL that you can say can sustain extremely high kind of abnormal touchdown rates because of the rapport that he has with Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers is one of those guys where he's got, he's going to target his guy whenever he wants to on the field, especially near the end zone. And and I think you're going to continue to see that with Devontae Adams. I don't think you're going to get nine touchdown passes from the one-yard line from Aaron Rodgers like we got last year. And I think that's a big reason why I have Aaron Jones in my in my tier three of running backs right behind Dalvin Cook. But sticking to receivers here, I don't think anything changes with Devontae Adams. He's the clear-cut number one guy uh, in tier one. The, the big differences for me is, is, is how many people do you include in tier one? And personally for me, I have four borderline five receivers in tier one. Number two is Stephon Diggs. Number three, I actually have Calvin Ridley over Tyreek Hill in that spot. And then I have Tyreek Hill number four. In my opinion, those are the top four receivers hands down going into fantasy this season. And the one I want to talk about is Calvin Ridley because a lot of people, they don't have him in that top three. A lot of people think the consensus top three this year is Adams, Diggs, and Hill in some some type of order one way or the other. To me, Calvin Ridley is firmly, he firmly deserves to be within that tier one of wide receivers. And I, I think you look at the fact that Julio Jones is no longer in the offense in Atlanta. You bring in the rookie Kyle Pitts, who's definitely going to get his fair share of volume, but Calvin Ridley's the guy who was easily the number one wide receiver in fantasy earlier in the season last year before he got banged up. You look at the fight, despite the fact he didn't he didn't play a full healthy 16, 17 weeks last year, Calvin Ridley still led the NFL in air yards by over 200 air yards. And he has Matt Ryan still throwing the football, who's at least we can say a competent quarterback under center. 
a team with a bad defense like Atlanta that's going to be facing a lot of negative game scripts, especially in, the, in a division as tough as the NFC South is with the defending Super Bowl champion Buccaneers, as well as the New Orleans Saints and Sean Payton, and then an upstart Carolina team that a lot of people have promised for this upcoming season as well. So to me, you can draft any of these receivers as your number one overall, and I wouldn't blame you for it. The fifth guy that I would put in that mix would be DeAndre Hopkins, even though I I think he's kind of borderline for me in terms of where is the tier one end and tier two begin with Hopkins, Metcalf, A.J. Brown, and and a whole list of other guys I include in tier two, which we'll get to here in a few minutes. But that's my top five this year going into drafts. Devontae Adams, number one, Diggs, number two, Ridley, number three, over Hill, then Hill, number four, and Hopkins, number five. So if you can leave the first two rounds of your drafts, with one of those top four, or maybe throw Hopkins in that mix as well, I think you're going to be very happy. But I also think guys like DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, Stevie Lamb, Terry McLaurin are all viable as, as the top wide receiver on your fantasy team. De- you know, deciding uh, pretty much dependent on whether you go wide, wide receiver or running back with your first pick. So that's the biggest difference for me in tier one is Calvin Ridley to me, wide receiver number three. I wouldn't blame you if you took him with a top five pick in the draft. I think he's that talented. He's the type of player that could break fantasy this year, and I'm very bullish on him. I, I, I wouldn't fault anyone for having that having Ridley as their num- number one receiver overall this year in fantasy. You know, I think one of the things that's important, Chris, is to probably have you talk a little bit about you know how guys get into tier one and why the guys in tier two you know can't make it in there. And I think when I'm thinking about it just by myself, like if we let's just take let's take the DK Metcalf, the AJ Brown, maybe the Jefferson, the McLaurin. You don't think that there's a possibility that those guys are going to lead the league in wide receiver fantasy points. Like you're, you're looking at them and you're saying, you know what? They're there. They can, you know, pretty, pretty close, you know, get to that mark, but it's going to be hard to go ahead and get past like a Tyree kill and Adams, you know, or Ridley who you mentioned that, you know, personally I'm, I'm very high on him. I don't think there's a whole lot of help there. Uh, in Atlanta, I actually had mentioned when we were doing our mock podcast that I felt that Ridley had a very high potential to go ahead and lead the league in targets. But why don't you talk about, you know, what makes these guys, you know, land in the tier one and then land in tier two? Like, what's the big separator for you? Like, what can't the tier two guys do that the tier one guys can? I, I think when you look at the tier one, and that's a, that's a great question. It's It's really, you know, difficult in terms of how do you want to break this down for just the everyday fantasy player, DFS player, et cetera. But for me, the main numbers that I'm looking at, as I mentioned before, I want to look at air yards and then I want to look at air yard percentage, basically the market share of air yards that a wide receiver gets in his given offense. And then you have to look situationally kind of common sense is like, okay, does the air yards for this specific player, are they legit? Like does this guy have a quarterback that's actually throwing decent balls down the field to have a chance of getting caught. So you look at the catch, catchable target rate that a guy has, things of that nature, his average depth of target. And then you look at the target percentage that that player has for his specific team. And even when you look at the overall target share of an offense, Calvin Ridley still ranks within the top 10. And that's again with him having Julio Jones on his team last year. So I think that Calvin Ridley again will lead the league in air yards. And I, and I agree with what you said is that he could come very close to leading the NFL in targets as well. Uh, he's a guy last year where you look at Stephon Diggs, you know, Stephon Diggs finished the year with 168 targets. DeAndre Hopkins finished with 160 targets. 
These are guys that are used in more shallow areas of the field, intermediate routes, and even deep as well. They're very versatile receivers in terms of the type of routes they run. They're the clear number one targets for pass-happy offenses. Um, and, and, and that's kind of like, in a, in a nutshell, some of the basic numbers you look at. But I want to look for the clear-cut number one receiver on a fantasy team. I want to see he's getting targets at a high rate in terms of 25% plus target share for that team. I want to see an air yards market share for that player as well of, of at least 30%. And I, and I think that's kind of even 35-40% when you talk about guys like Terry McLaurin, Devontae Adams, etc. So those are some of the most important things I want to look at when it, when it comes to fantasy guys and how to rank the, these receivers going into this year because there's so many good receivers in the NFL. And, and the question is, you know, how, how do you really sort – between all of them. So th- those are just some of the basic numbers I look at. And again, this is in regards to full point PPR, which is my top 300 rankings and tiers that you can find at the bettingpredators.com website uh, because we're taking receptions and targets as a big factor here because a guy like Stefan Diggs, if he's going to rack up 168 targets and 127 receptions on those targets, then the air, the air yards become less important because you're getting one point for every catch. Uh, and touchdowns as well. You don't have to dominate in the touchdown department. You know, last year, Devontae Adams had 18 touchdowns. Stephon Diggs had eight. DeAndre Hopkins had six. That's a huge difference because you're getting six points for every touchdown, obviously. So if you talk about a difference between Devontae Adams and DeAndre Hopkins, that's a difference of 12 touchdowns. That's 72 points overall in the year that you're taking away. And there's no way a receiver is going to make up with that with 72 extra catches. So that's why Devontae Adams is number one. And that's why I have a guy like Ridley, number two, because the touchdown potential will be there because the air yards are going to be there. And he's he's solely going to be that number one option, not just in a passing game, but for the entire offense in Atlanta. And you look at a guy like Arthur Smith, who's come in from Tennessee, he, he knew how to use A.J. Brown. He knew how to use Corey Davis. He knew how to make Ryan Tannehill one of the most efficient passers in the NFL. And Ridley's talent is there. So I'm looking at a huge year from Ridley where I wouldn't be surprised to see him be the number one overall receiver in fantasy, either half-point PPR or full-point PPR by the end of the year. Let's swing back to one of the guys that was right on the fringe there with DeAndre Hopkins. I was unaware that he had that many targets last year. Now, um, they're going to bring A.J. Green in. Do you think that that matters? The way I'm thinking about this is like, all right, I didn't think Hopkins would have anywhere near probably the production that he had last year. And that, to me, just says that the fact that he was able to do that with Kyler Murray and look, they had weapons at wide receiver last year, but I think a lot of people probably expected a downgrade for him. I'm not sure where you had him in your rankings last year, but is that something that you're going to consider? Is that why he is where he is? Because maybe AJ Green comes to town. Do you think there's a possibility like he is the best receiver in the league and maybe he's just not in the, maybe he's not in the greatest situation because he doesn't have a quarterback like a Rodgers? Like, if Hopkins, when Hopkins was with Watson, I mean, like, wasn't he like number one, number two? Yeah, Hopkins has had his years where he's been at the top of the board in terms of wide receiver points per game and fantasy at the end of the year, absolutely. And he's the oldest of the bunch that we're putting up here, but he's not an, at an age yet where I expect his skills to be declining in any type of way, especially with the type of skills that he has. He's still 29 years old, so he's on the right side of 30, and he's a guy throughout the years that's been absolutely dominant with, with, with at least – halfway decent quarterback play even before Deshaun Watson got to Houston DeAndre Hopkins was still putting up elite numbers so I I think you have to look at the situation a a lot of analysts in the industry sharp guys that I follow personally uh, and myself included 
uh, we were kind of low on Hopkins going into last year. And he proved a lot of people wrong because the, the number the number one thing you look at with fading Hopkins in 2020 was the fact that you're looking at a wide receiver changing teams. And a lot of times, historically, when you look at the numbers, the, the statistics really drop off in a big way when a wide receiver has to switch offenses and switch quarterbacks. But Hopkins is a, is a type of talent that superseded that, and, and it didn't happen with him in Arizona. And then you look at the fact that Hopkins was at the top of the leaderboard in fantasy points per game for about the first half of last season, but then Kyler Murray hurt his shoulder. And, and that really uh, make, make, made a big dent in terms of a decrease in efficiency for the Arizona passing game as a whole. And I think you saw Hopkins' numbers kind of decline a little bit, and that's why he only finished with six touchdowns. That's why his average depth of target was only eight and a half yards down the field on average, but he still had over 33% of the team's air yards. He still got 30% of the team targets. And again, number two in the NFL in terms of targets overall, because he's playing in a, in a, a pass happy offense. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals are a team that likes to run at a high pace. So that means they're getting in a lot of plays per game at overall. So the more plays that a team runs, the faster pace they operate their offense, those are all positive things for these wide receivers. Um, and I think that's for me why you look DeAndre Hopkins can only go up from last year. So I'm still putting Hopkins in that top five. I just think that the other guys, they're just a little bit younger. They have a little more explosiveness to their game. And I think their quarterbacks are better and more efficient in terms of throwing the deep ball where you're going to get those big explosive type of chunk touchdown plays from them. But yeah, Hopkins, he deserves to be in the top five. And those are the reasons there why I think that he's going to bounce back given the fact that he went to Arizona in a COVID offseason with absolutely no practices, no training. Now he's got a year in that offense under his belt. Kyler Murray should be improved. The chemistry should improve between that between those two guys too. So I, I am very bullish on Hopkins as being you know, the top receiver on your fantasy team. I, I think that's a very viable way to start out your first two rounds by getting him in the middle of the second round because he, he's the cheapest of those guys. Him and Ridley are when it, when it comes to fantasy drafts and their average draft position right now. Yeah, you know, the more that I think about it, listening as you're talking, I think Hopkins probably has the chance to, you know, be the top receiver in the league. And the way that I'm thinking about it is, like, if we look go back, go back to last year and look at what Tyreek Hill did, once they kind of got wise to how to get, you know, how to slow him down, and you already had mentioned Adams, you know, getting a ton of looks like in the red zone. Is that going to continue again? I'm not sure. And yeah, Diggs led the league in, in targets, but I, I I think that a lot of people are going to think regression probably for Josh Allen. Like, is he going to be able to have that type of a season again? And then look at Kingsbury and then look at Kyler. You know, when they bring him in, it was a brand new and you talked about all the COVID stuff as well. There should have been a reason why there was a red flag last year, you know, with Hopkins. I don't think there should be any red flag this year at all for him. It should be, you know, that you probably have him a little too low, that he maybe should be. If if you don't have him in tier one, but you have him five, I think then maybe you widen your tier one. That's just That's just my personal opinion after, you know, thinking about it for a few minutes. I think he's got to be right there, dude. Um, I and I feel pretty good about that. I, I like you said. I feel like you're, you're saying that he, you think he can go up, and if he can, and we know that he can, I think the situation around all those guys, I think it actually the two guys that actually you know stick out to me like a sore thumb that the ceiling could be very very high is probably Ridley and Hopkins. Those two are the, uh, those two guys 
I feel like their ceilings could be extremely high. So I don't know if you want to widen your tier one, but I think after and look, we're we're trying to get it right, right? I mean that that's why we do these podcasts. That's why we always talk. Um, I just feel like Hopkins probably should be in that group, like, and and a lot of it just comes down to the targets, like how much he was used last year, is making me very optimistic that if we were wrong last year, that let's not be wrong again. Like, let's get this guy in that first tier because we know what he can do. And I think everything kind of just circles around um, him just having a, even, maybe even a better year. Um, so that's where I'm at with that, Chris. Let's talk a little bit about tier two. Let's talk about those guys that you mentioned, DK Metcalf, A.G. Brown, uh, Terry McLaurin, uh, some of the guys, you know, they're throwing out Robinson there, Keenan Allen. Uh, guys like that. Why don't you go ahead and give your tier two because my gut feeling says that you probably don't have one guy in there or maybe you do that I I don't even think he belongs maybe in like the top four tiers and I see a lot of people drafting him. I don't understand why but why don't you go ahead and give out your tier two and then we could talk a little bit deeper about that. I've recently expanded my tier two, and and I'm going to start by saying just to finish up on the Hopkins thing, he is in tier one. He's number five, so he's the last player right before the tier break, so to speak. Um, With Hopkins, the reason why he's not ahead of those four guys is because Adams has Rodgers, Diggs has Allen and Brian Dable, Ridley has now Arthur Smith and Matt Ryan, Hill has Mahomes and Reed. So I think you look at those, like the situational factors, like Hopkins has Kyler and Kingsbury. Uh, two guys, when it comes to downfield passing, I'm not very confident in. That's why p- people kind of make fun of Cliff Kingsbury as like a quote-unquote fake sharp in the horizontal raid offense of just throwing sideways most of the game. Does it have something to do with Kyler not being able to throw the ball deep well? Will he take a stride in year two? That, to me, those questions is why Hopkins is number five. But again, I consider him one of the top five receivers in fantasy this year. When it comes to tier two, we're going to talk about guys entering their second and third year for the most part. And when you look at the numbers going back to the early 2000s, you really want to target talented wide receivers who received a very high target volume and air yards volume in terms of what their market share percentages were within those offenses coming off their rookie year or coming off their second season in the NFL. And when you look at the top four guys in tier two, these are all guys either entering their second or third year. DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, Terry McLaurin, Stevie Lamb. Those are those are the guys I have ranked six through nine. Then you look at the rest of tier two, Keenan Allen, Justin Jefferson. And then recently I've moved a couple of young guys that I'm very bullish on for this season because I want to be ahead of market on them and get them as early as possible in drafts because they're starting to go in the fourth and fifth rounds. Those guys are Jerry Judy, Chase Claypool, T. Higgins. And number 15, right at the end of Tier 2, I have Allen Robinson. So that's my Tier 2 is nine players altogether. Actually, I'm sorry, ten players altogether from number 6 down to number 15, starting with DK Metcalf, ending with Allen Robinson. And in terms of the market, like what are other analysts ranking these guys at? Where are these guys going in terms of their average draft position like we talked about on the quarterbacks and running backs podcast? You know, for me, in terms of the biggest difference in the market on these guys – is the two young guys going into their second season. That's Jerry Judy and Chase Claypool and T. Higgins. All three of those guys, which I consider them taking a step up in in offenses that are going to pass the ball better this year. And the air yards are there. The targets are there. And the talent is certainly there. So those are three guys specifically that I'm much higher on in the market. But I, I want to put them in tier two 
because when I put them in tier three, they fall to their market price. And I believe these guys are worth more than the market price. And it's worth spending, uh, uh, you know, getting them around earlier. And instead of leaving yourself 50-50 in terms of is this, is this guy going to get taken by one of my opponents? So I want to be very bullish on second and third-year receivers with tons of talent that are going to get volume in high-tempo offenses. And that's why I have most, most of these guys fit that profile of my tier two wide receivers. I think that's one of the things that you do really well, especially when it comes to wide receivers, is understanding that it's probably one of the hardest skill positions to actually get down as a rookie. And you see flashes as a rookie. You know, that's one of the things that you all that you've been able to identify. Just take T. Higgins, for example. You don't see rookies come in and have the type of impact, the type of season, just the impact, like like what he can do to a defense. And you always spot those guys. So the only thing that you can really assume, I'm guessing, Chris, is probably like if that dude was that good in his rookie season, you know, especially with a rookie quarterback, you know, what's he going to look like, you know, in his second year? Um, things are only going to get better. And I know that you still have, you know, Boyd there and you still have uh, Chase there, you know, the, the, the new guy. But it doesn't seem like it's scaring you off him at all. Like you can see, you know, that big, big leap. Um, in his second year and we've you know we've seen it you know many a times before with, with a lot of wide receivers but uh, I like when you get bold because you just notice things and, and and you have a particular way that you look at them and when you kind of just follow your recipe to success with that you know those guys always seem to pan out for you um, not only you know throughout the entire season but um, you know when you're when you're plugging them into DFS or your season longs um, they're just they're good solid options to have and and like you mentioned, you want to be ahead of the curve and ahead of the party. And, uh, you know, I think there's a few guys in there um, that you had named that are probably going to end up, you know, surfacing this year as being like, oh, man, you know, I, I kind of wish, you know, that I had that guy. Uh, why don't we talk a little bit about Tier 3? Uh, I'm guessing you probably have guys in there. I'm not sure if you have Julio in there, Cooper, uh, DJ Moore, guy I, I ended up taking in one of our drafts. Uh, I'm guessing maybe, you know, Thielen might be in there, Godwin, Mike Evans, guys like that. Uh, what's your Tier 3 looking like? How big is your Tier 3? Tier 3, it's the same size as Tier 2. I've, I've been able to confidently put 10 receivers in this tier. I recently dropped a few out. I added a few guys back in. At the top of Tier 3, I have Deontay Johnson. Deontay Johnson, you know I've been very high on basically all the last year. Uh, he's another guy who's young. He's entering his third season. And I think people look at him in terms of the drops, uh, in terms of him running a lot of short, shallow routes. Like, will Big Ben continue to do that dink and dunk type of offense? And look, I put Chase Claypool. I've recently moved him ahead of Deontay Johnson because I think Chase Claypool, he was only running about 60 to 70 percent of the routes last season. And all indications are he's ready to receive a full workload in terms of percentage of routes he's going to run this year for the for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So the air yards for for Judy and Claypool, they were top ten in air yards and what and the basically the opportunity they were getting last season. And I look at Teddy Bridgewater as an improvement from Drew Locke for Jerry Judy. I look at Big Ben adding Najee Harris, getting a little bit healthier himself, being a, a lot better for Chase Claypool in his second year as well. But Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool I have basically I have Claypool 13, I have Deontay 16. I really like Deontay Johnson because of the PPR format, you know, getting one full point per reception and what he was able to do last year, being a consistent uh, fantasy contributor, basically all, all year long, he was ranking, you know, w within that top 20 almost on a weekly basis. So I think he's more than a steady wide receiver too, 
when you look at the end of the year and what he can do uh, just in terms of the double-digit targets he was getting almost week in and week out. Um, all the way down, I've moved, I've moved DJ Moore actually up to 17, right behind Deontay Johnson. DJ Moore's a guy I was very high on last year. I had DJ Moore as one of my top five receivers going into 2020. But the problem was in Carolina is that they used him uh, strictly as a deep threat. And, and that was terrible when you have a guy like Teddy Bridgewater who's not good at throwing the ball deep. And you take DJ Moore and all his all his routes, and you basically just run him straight down the field. He becomes a very inefficient fantasy wide receiver, despite him being the best wide receiver on his team. So DJ Moore was top five in the NFL in air yards last season, but that didn't that didn't equate to him being one of the top ten or top fifteen wide receivers on the year. But if you've looked at the preseason usage, and this is something where what do we look at in the preseason? No, I'm not looking at box scores. I'm looking at where these players where these players are lining up on the field and the few times we saw DJ Moore with Sam Darnold in Matt in Matt Rule's system there is that they were using him all over the field and they were using him a lot in the short areas of the field so if he can run 25 30% of his routes in the slot at minimum and get a lot of those yards yard, why do we want guys in the slot because first of all they're going to get a lot of easy open catches in the short to intermediate areas of the field You'll see me talk about that a lot throughout the year when it comes to player props, season-long fantasy, and DFS. But you're also going to get yards after the catch ability. When you put a talented guy, one of the most athletic receivers in terms of speed in the NFL, in DJ Moore, and you put him in the slot, then you're talking about monster yards after the catch numbers. And that's a big reason why I'm starting to get more bullish on DJ Moore as we approach draft season. I've got him firmly ahead of Robbie Anderson in that offense, and I've got him right at the top of Tier 3. Probably not enough for me to move him into Tier 2 because I don't think the, he, he's going to get the volume of targets that he should get. I don't, I don't want to sit here and play armchair quarterback or coach and kind of dictate what I think the offense should do. But based on what I've seen, his talent and an upgrade at quarterback, arguably, with Sam Darnold maybe being able to throw it a little deeper than Bridgewater did, I think those are all reasons to boost DJ Moore up the rankings. And then the rest of Tier 3, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Brandon Ayuk, another mega talented second year receiver. You know, will he be playing with Jimmy G or Trey Lance? Which quarterback will be better for him? Those are frankly answers we just don't know. And then Tyler Lockett, Julio Jones, Amari Cooper. And now I have Corey Davis and LaVisca Chennault rounding out uh, tier three because I see those guys as clear cut number one receiving options on their offenses. And I think they deserve to be there based on the talent and just based off the overall uh, target volume they're going to get in their respective offenses. That's my tier three, basically wide receiver 16, Deontay Johnson through wide receiver 25, which is LaVisca Chennault. Let me ask you three different questions here. First one I ask is ADP, you know, according to your, you know, your, your tiers, we have tier one, two, and three. So let's just take, let's just take all three tiers. When it comes to ADP, which wide receiver do you have right now? Uh, much higher than the market, or let's just say, you know, the highest difference, you know, out of your market? Well, tier two, it was Jerry Judy, 18 spots above ADP. Right now he's getting drafted as the 30th wide receiver. I've got Judy as my 12th ranked wide receiver. And no, that doesn't mean that I'm going to draft him in the third round right after Justin Jefferson gets off, gets off the board. What it means is that once round four comes along and we're starting to see the wide receivers 15 to 20 get drafted, I'm probably going to take him there because I think by the time my next pick comes back, if I have to wait another 20 picks, then he might not be there in round five. So these are, 
I want to be ahead of market. When I say ahead of market, that means I want to be above ADP and I want to be above ECR, above the expert consensus rankings, because a lot of fantasy drafters you're going to be playing with and competing against this year, they're going to be using other expert analyst rankings to do their draft and for their own rankings. So Claypool, I'm 14 spots above ADP. T. Higgins, I'm 10 spots above ADP. Now in tier three, right at the bottom, I, I put these guys in tier three for a reason and not at the top of tier four. But Corey Davis, I have 18 spots above ADP. LaVisca Chanel, I have 13 spots above ADP. So those are the two guys I'm most bullish on when it comes to tier three wide receivers. Because again, LaVisca Chanel, second year guy, upgrade at quarterback, going to be the number one receiver in that offense. He's a guy, he's going to play the slot. He's even going to get like these touch passes type of design custom plays out of the backfield because he has experience in terms of being able to rush the ball as well. And then he's shown the athleticism and explosiveness to also be a deep threat over the middle and deep parts of the field. So LaVisca Chanel, I would not be surprised at all next year in 2022 to be one of the top 10, 15 receivers being taken off the board. So I'm really high on his talent overall. And the fact that ETN's done for the year now, it's going to have to be more opportunity and more touches and more targets for LaVisca in that offense, which is obviously, hey, you can be high on Trevor Lawrence or not. You can be high on Urban Meyer or not. But one thing that's not going to be is it's not going to be a downgrade from Gardner Minshew and from the coaching staff that was there last year. So uh, Corey Davis, same type of reason. Like Adam Gase is gone. The Jets went out of their way to bring Davis in into a big contract this year to be the number one wideout in that offense. And I look at Zach Wilson, at least in terms of how the quarterback play was last year, as a major upgrade in that offense. Like He's a guy that's going to be free to sling the ball around. And you you already seen him this year in the preseason. He's targeted Corey Davis at a wide receiver one type of level. And that's why I think at wide receiver 24, as your wide receiver two on your fantasy team, Corey Davis is going to give you a nice return on investment because he's a guy that could easily get 10-plus targets per game in addition to the touchdown percentage and type of end zone targets, red zone targets that you're looking for for a guy at this at this stage. So I'm a little more bullish on Davis and Chenault because I think they're going to be the number ones in their offenses, and I'm starting to get more bullish on those offenses in terms of taking a major step forward compared to what they looked like in 2020. Yeah, I don't want to disagree at all with Corey Davis. I, I think we know what he can do, but he was stuck in an offense with, you know, a quarterback who's not necessarily elite in Tannehill. Now he grew – you know, leaps and bounds last year, but I think arguably, you know, they have maybe, you know, one of the number one running backs in the league. You have to use that guy. And then you have a wide receiver in AJ Brown, who let's just say he's probably top 10. You know, there probably weren't a whole lot of touches left, you know, for Corey Davis to kind of get in the mix. But now, you know, being paired up with Zach Wilson in an offense that uh, quite honestly doesn't have a whole lot as of right now, maybe, you know, the running back Carter will, you know, do okay. Maybe Crowder will, you know, surface up again and, and take some touches away. But I, I don't have any problem with you going ahead and putting a guy like Corey Davis who, you know, he's flashed at times. But this should be kind of like a, in my opinion, maybe like a Corey Davis kind of prime of his career. Like these next couple of years should be, you know, kind of his prime. Now, I talked about the guys that you were high on, you know, ADP-wise. But why don't you talk about the guys that maybe are in, you know, everybody else's, you know, top three tiers but you're just like, yeah, no way am I doing that. So what about your low, you know, kind of ADP kind of guys? Um, when you look at the top, there's not really too big of guys in terms I'm, – I'm a little bit lower on Justin Jefferson, only, you know, four or five spots lower than the market, which I don't think is really that big of a deal because I have him as a 11th-ranked wide receiver. 
On average, he's going as a seventh wide receiver off the board. I just personally would rather have higher-paced offenses with better quarterback play in terms of CeeDee Lamb, uh, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, et cetera, even, even a Keenan Allen. Um, four spots lower on Allen Robinson. I think the question of quarterback, who's going to be in there? Is it going to be Justin Fields? When is he going to get that chance? Uh, not being that bullish on Andy Dalton as a, as a reliable passer overall. And then when it comes to tier three, uh, the two guys I'm, I'm the three guys I'm lower on in terms of the market is Robert Woods. Uh, he's going off the board as a 14th receiver in terms of ADP. I've got him at wide receiver 20. Uh, I've got Cup two spots ahead of him. I think that Cup should be the first receiver in that Rams offense taken off the board because we've seen the history of Matthew Stafford targeting receivers out of the slot and the upgrade at quarterback of what they're going to be able to do when the Rams were operating at high levels in their offense with McVay in the past, you saw Cooper Cup as the clear number one receiver in terms of target share percentage in that offense. And he's a guy that's also gotten consistent uh, red zone usage and end zone targets as well, which is very important when we're looking at the end line in terms of how many touchdowns are these guys scoring at the end of the year too. So I've got Cup ahead of Woods, even though the market has Woods ahead of Cup. Uh, and then Julio Jones, slightly lower the market because – Julio's the type of guy, Hall, you know, first ballot Hall of Famer, you know, when fully healthy, definitely top five receiver in the game. But he just hasn't been able to be fully healthy for the last couple of seasons. And he's the guy where, you know, you go into a week with him questionable. He's a warrior. Like, he's going to play through any injury. But the problem is, you know, that's tough for fantasy when you got a guy who's questionable all week, game time decision. Then when he plays, maybe he only plays 50, 60% of the snaps, gets limited usage because he's more of a decoy. So I have... Julio Jones, if all things go right for him, man, he could easily. It would not surprise me at all to see he, see him be a top ten receiver right next to AJ Brown this year. But because of him getting up there in age a little bit, and because of those other reasons, I have him at twenty two, which I don't think is. I have him one spot lower than the other analysts, which is basically on market with that with those guys. Uh, the lowest I am overall is on Amari Cooper. Uh, I've got Cooper as the twenty third ranked receiver. He's going off the board as the fifteenth receiver in ADP. Uh, to me, it's just it's just a clear it's it's as clear as day in terms of Lamb being the number one option in that offense. When you look at the uh, target share percentage that Lamb got when Dak was healthy and on the field compared to Cooper, then you look at Cooper as he's getting up there in age. He's been banged up. He's the type of guy where anytime he gets any type of one on one defensive attention, uh, attention, he pretty much disappears. And and that's been a consistent theme throughout his career with the Raiders and with the Cowboys as well. So. Cooper, he's going to have those spike weeks. I really like him more in best ball because I think, you know, he's going to have a lot of those down games in season long where he might only get a couple catches. But uh, CeeDee Lamb's a guy that the Cowboys are going to use in the slot all around the field. He's the younger, more explosive talent. So out of everyone we talked about so far, tier one through tier three, uh, me being eight spots lower on ADP with Amari Cooper is the biggest uh, difference in terms of, you know, the negative side of where I have these guys ranked lower than the market right now. All right, good stuff there, Chris. I made a bet the other day that I think you'll be proud of. So this is kind of the terms. More targets, more catches, more yardage, more touchdowns. So I guess four. I ended up with A.J. Brown versus Cooper. And I'm just like, there's no way that Amari Cooper is going to outproduce A.J. Brown in those particular areas. So the wager was 50 bucks per area. And I feel like there's no way that I don't go three out of four. So how do you feel about that wager? So it would be the targets, the catches, the yardage, the touchdowns. I feel like I got to be at least three out of four with A.J. Brown versus Amari Cooper. 
targets, catches. Yeah, I mean, the touchdown department, I think you're pretty solid there. I mean, A.J. Brown's just a touchdown monster yards after the catch. He's a big body in the end zone. I, I think you're – I mean, he more than doubled Omari Cooper's touchdowns last year, 11-5. to five. Um, So I, I do like that a lot. The targets, I think, is where you could probably lose that bet because the, the Titans, if they're going to run the ball as much as they did last year – um, I think it's going to be hard because the Cowboys literally they just run plays so fast and so frequently that the play volume is going to be what gets Amari Cooper more targets potentially than AJ Brown does. Um, the yardage I think is a toss up. I think because again you're looking at more targets and I think you're looking at more play volume overall. Uh, Cooper could get there, but um, other than that, I, I think that you know I think the main I, I would honestly try to double down on that bet and make it more – put more money on the touchdowns because I think that's the clear area where A.J. Brown could exceed Amari Cooper. I think the problem working against you potentially with the other ones is that the Titans run less plays. They run the ball more. And even though A.J. Brown's going to score more fantasy points than Amari Cooper, he scored on average three more points per game last year than Cooper. Um, those are the areas where Cooper could kind of get a little bit of boost because the Cowboys are running like 60-something plays a game compared to like 40-50 – and over the course of a season, that's going to make a big difference. I think my 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 go-to with that was we don't know what Dak's going to look like coming off of the injury. Yeah. I felt like I had a little something built in you know, into that particular wager. Now, there were guys when we were talking about the ADP that you hadn't mentioned yet that I'm actually really low on. And some people might disagree, but I know ADP has like, Jamar Chase, you know, even just inside the top 30, I don't even think he belongs in the top 40. And Chris Godwin's another guy that they have him somewhere in the teens. I think he's probably, you know, somewhere around 30. But those are the guys I'm lowest on. Um, I I don't think Chase is going to uh, outproduce probably Tyler Boyd. And I don't believe Godwin um, is just going to get enough enough volume. You know, with Mike Evans there, Antonio Brown, I mean, you got Gronk, Howard, Bray, you got three running backs. They bring in Bernard. You know, there's going to be just, I think, just less production for him unless he just becomes, you know, Brady's favorite target. And I just don't believe that that's why all these guys stayed in Tampa Bay to see Tom Brady just continuously throw the ball um, to Chris Godwin. So I would drop him down quite a bit. Uh, I would drop down. Uh, Jamar Chase quite a bit. I would actually have those. Um, well, I would probably put Chase in like tier, probably like tier five, and probably Godwin. You know, just outside of uh, maybe outside of like tier three. So why don't we talk about a little bit more about like tier four, tier five? You know, we're getting into guys like probably like Robbie Anderson, maybe a Debo, uh, Cortland Sutton. That was that kind of raised a red flag to me too, Chris, when you mentioned Bridgewater doesn't throw it down. Uh, the field a whole lot that, you know, they use DJ Moore primarily as, you know, kind of just a, you know, flight on the flight on the field type of guy. So I worried a little bit about Judy when he said that, but I think the red flag for me, it would be on Cortland Sutton in that sense too. So why don't you talk a little bit about tier four, tier five, if you want to touch on, you know, with, with the Bridgewater with Cortland Sutton thing, that's fine too. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to bring up the expert consensus rankings again, because fantasy pros does a great job of everyone. Most analysts in the industry, they compete in the fantasy pros expert accuracy rankings contest every year. That's where every single week during the year, they score you based on how you're ranking at each position and overall. And they also have this contest for the overall season rankings. And that's what we're talking about now is the preseason rankings for these guys. 
Um, what the reason why I bring that up is because after you get past the top 20, 25 receivers, uh, a lot of analysts will rank guys the same way because they want their scores to be closer to the average than not. And I don't, I'm not going to call anyone's name out for that or any other publications, but people that know about the ranking systems know that that's true. And I will purposely go out of my way to, to go for guys that I'm strong on and I, and I firmly believe in for the year. And that's what, in certain cases, if I'm wrong on a guy that I've got 20 spots above the market or he gets hurt, that's going to hurt my accuracy score at the end of the year. But personally, I don't care about that because at the end of the day, it's not going to come down to like how accurate you were ranking the top 25 guys. It's where are you at in terms of ranking number 26 through number 75, like tier four, tier five, tier six, tier seven, et cetera. If you look at our top 300 PPR rankings on the betting predators website, I've got 150 wide receivers ranked all together because that's half the, half the players in the top 300 rankings are wide receivers because a lot of leagues these days, you're starting three wide receivers and a flex so that means you could potentially be starting four wide receivers every single week. I think you getting the receivers right in your drafts, you have a much higher chance of getting these guys right because the hit rates on predicting which running backs will go off each year are extremely low when you go past the first and second round. That's why a lot of people talk about the running back dead zone after round three. But year two and year three receivers, as we've mentioned, I want to hit this as hard as possible. These are the guys whose hit rates, when I say hit rate, it's like how much more fantasy points per game are they scoring on average in, in terms of where they be, where they're being drafted in your league, and the hit rates for second and third wide, second and third year wide receivers are off the charts compared to any other position and compared to any other year that a player's entering throughout the NFL. So uh, again, that's why I'm higher on guys like Lavisca uh, in tier two. I mentioned earlier with Judy, with Claypool, etc., with Deontay Johnson even. Uh, and that's why I'm lower on some of these guys that are more veteran receivers that have been around for a long time. Uh, and, and let me just talk about a couple of the guys I'm low on in this tier. You brought up two of them already, I think, or I think you brought up Mike Evans, but Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, I'm both extremely lower on compared to the market. I've got Chris Godwin as wide receiver 28. I've got Mike Evans as wide receiver 32. Uh, because frankly, this is a team who's bringing every starter back from the NFL Super Bowl run they made last year. And their defense is going to be at, the, at elite levels uh, this season. Frankly, I don't know how much they're going to need to throw the ball on a weekly basis because last year we saw them, first half of the season, the Bucks did struggle a lot. And they were in a lot more negative game scripts because of that. Uh, but their defense got so much better week in and week out. And you saw it peak at the Super Bowl and the way they were able to shut down the Chiefs offense. I think that defense continues to operate at elite levels this year. Uh, the fact that Brady, I think he's proved all his haters wrong. I think all he wants to do at this point is win a Super Bowl. So you know, he's going to have a decent year. Don't get me wrong, but he has three viable wide receivers. Like which one are you going to pick? I think if you're going to pick one bucks receiver, you might as well take the cheapest option. To me, that's Antonio Brown. I've got Antonio Brown ranked ahead of Mike Evans right in between. I've got Antonio Brown at wide receiver 30. He's going off the board right now as the 40th ranked wide receiver. So to me, I think Antonio Brown, there, there's like a 50, 50 chance. He finishes as the highest scoring wide receiver in fantasy in the entire Bucks offense. And the fact is, you got to pay a tax on Chris Godwin. You got to pay a tax on Mike Evans to repeat the touchdown rate that he had last year, which I don't think, frankly, it, he has a good chance of repeating with all the weapons they have. So to me, give me Antonio Brown another year under the belt with Tom Brady to gain that chemistry. And can he be what he was before? Probably not. Can he be, can he be 75% of what he was before? 
with a guy like Tom Brady, with Bruce Arians running that offense, if you can get Antonio Brown and he plays to that potential this year, he can easily crack the top 25 at the end of the year in terms of his fantasy potential. So I love Antonio Brown, and I'm, I'm not drafting Chris Godwin or Mike Evans anywhere because I think there's not really a difference between those three guys, and Antonio Brown is by far the most cheapest of those three receivers. Interesting that you brought him up because uh, one of our fantasy guys, Donnie Dice, who does, he's going to end up doing like Sunday sleepers and give you guys a bunch of sleeper plays. He actually had uh, undervalued wide receivers, and one of the guys that he wrote up um, was Antonio Brown. So he's kind of, you know, right in line with you. Why don't we talk about another guy that's, you know, been in the league, you know, probably just about as long as, as Antonio Brown and has had, you know, some really big seasons. But Odell Beckham coming back from, you know, an injury last year, do you make any any do with him, Chris? Because I'm seeing people have him like in the top 25. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think he might be, you know, maybe down there with like the Jamar Chases of the world and things like that. Maybe, you know, down there with Juju Smith-Schuster and guys like that. Do you expect anything big from Odell this year? I mean, we know what he can do, but can he still do it is the question. I don't think that uh, a lot of people believe in him right now. It's funny you mentioned that. Like, you just named the two guys I'm lowest on in the entire NFL when it comes to fantasy wide receivers. Juju Smith-Schuster, we haven't even gotten a tier six. I've got him 36 spots lower than ADP. I'm not touching him with a 10-foot pole this season. Odell Beckham, same thing. I've got him wide receiver 45. And I don't I don't understand. It's, it's, it's certain guys, Sleepy, as you know, and a lot of people listening here know, uh, certain guys get drafted off their name brand alone, and, and that's Odell Beckham. And, and frankly, we don't know how healthy he's going to be coming off all those injuries he's had. Uh, you're talking about an offense that's a run-first offense that has an improved defense, and they're frank, he's frankly not even going to get the volume and – to me, I, I would rather have Jarvis Landry. To me, Jarvis Landry is going to—he's going to lead the team in targets. He's going to lead the team in catches. Odell might have a couple weeks where he catches a long touchdown from Mayfield, but I mean, to me, Mayfield's a, a mediocre quarterback right now at best. He hasn't shown otherwise. I think he's okay. Is he a bust yet? No. Uh, is he an All-Pro quarterback? No. So I'm not saying that Mayfield's all of a sudden going to prop a guy up like Odell Beckham, who's clearly, clearly at this point past his prime. So uh, I'm just not going to get Odell Beckham because I'm 20 spots lower than the market. And that's why I'm a little more either bullish or bearish on guys because, look, if if I don't like Odell Beckham, but I've got him ranked near the market price at 25, that means if I'm in a sharp draft, he's going to fall. And I don't want to just take him because he's the top guy on my board. So that's why I'm moving him considerably lower than other guys like Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell from the Colts, Uh, Marquez Calloway, Terrace Marshall from the Panthers, the rookie, Michael Gallup, Rondell Moore, Mike Williams, Jacoby Myers, these, uh, Antonio Brown, like I said, even Brandon Cooks from the Texans. These are all guys I have in Tier 4 that, to me, are, are clearly above Odell Beckham in terms of the consistency and the ceiling that they're going to display throughout the season. Uh, and then and then the last guy I'm lowest on this tier, Adam Thielen. Uh, another reason I bring up again, he's a guy that was even halfway decent last year just because of his touchdown rate. And I just you don't see those type of touchdown rates translate from year to year. If you look at his overall career game log or season to season splits over his career, Adam Thielen, first of all, he's on the wrong side of 30. He's 31 years old. Uh, Justin Jefferson has clearly emerged in that offense as the number one guy. And again, you're talking about a run first coach, uh, you know, a, a defensive minded coach. I think their defense will be better in Minnesota. So if Thielen doesn't get those touchdowns, he's going to be really far down the board in terms of fantasy points per game. Uh, you know, in the NFL this upcoming season. So I want to be lower on market than Adam Thielen because to me, 
He doesn't have much of a floor, and the ceiling just isn't there. And I think the only way he gives you a consistent floor is with touchdowns. And I'm not going to bet on touchdowns for any of these guys we're talking about. I'll use touchdowns to like move a guy slightly up or move a guy slightly down, but I can't have that be the reason I'm buying a player or selling a player completely. And to me, that that's why I have Adam, Adam Thielen at wide receiver 35. I'd rather have Mike Williams from the Chargers. I'd rather have Jacoby Myers, Tyler Boyd, Robbie Anderson over a guy like Thielen. A Thielen's, again, a guy that's getting drafted based off his name value. A couple of years ago, Thielen was the number one receiver in PPR for the first half of the year. He was, he was getting, ready, getting ready to break records in Minnesota, but he suffered through injuries. He now has more competition, younger competition, in the form of Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook there. So he's another guy for those reasons similar to Odell that I have much lower on the board compared to other analysts and compared to their ADP. So let me ask you this. like When it comes to those potential guys who you're low on, they fall on your lap. Do you take them or are you looking to just kind of avoid them and say, you know what, I brought these guys down here for a particular reason. Yeah, they're going to fall into my lap. Maybe it's, you know, the, a round or maybe even two later. Like, are you still hesitant to take those guys? And, and maybe do you take a guy that maybe you, you feel a little bit more optimistic about, but you feel like you have him placed correctly? Like, what do you do with those guys who kind of fall in your lap? Because you always talk about, you know, when value falls in your lap, you want to kind of let that fall to you. You know, that that's a great question, and I hate to not answer it, but it's like it's completely situational, man. Like, you know, what round are you in? You know, what guys do you have on your team? What's the roster build you're going after? Did you start with a lot of wide receivers first and you don't need one? Uh, it, it's It really depends on that type of stuff. Like, you know, I feel like for me, I'm trying to rank these guys lower to like, you know, basically we're talking about the wide receiver 35 overall. Like that means that Thielen might not be getting taken to like the 10th, 11th, 12th round. Uh, or maybe round nine, but I just don't see him falling that far in a draft. Uh, if he does, then honestly, like I still might even I might not even take him at that point. I might wait around even more. Where I'll maybe what I'll do is I'll wait until he slips around past my own ranking. So if I have him ranked twenty spots behind ADP, then I get to wide receiver thirty five, and he's the best value on my board. Technically, what I'll probably do is I'll wait till he drops another round, and the chances of that happening is like slim to none. Uh, so maybe that's an exception I would make. Uh, I frankly don't see that happening with a guy like Thielen or a guy like Beckham. The draft I'm in right now, where you, you heard you heard uh, I was on mute earlier in this podcast, is because I was looking at running backs. And I, I've taken a strategy in this draft where I'm drafting a lot of receivers early, a lot of my running backs later because it's best ball. Uh, and Philip Lindsay is like the 130th ranked player overall. But we're at pick 170 now, and he still hasn't been taken off the board. And for me, I'm just not going to draft the Houston Texans running back. So he's a guy I'm just literally going to let sit there the entire draft. And what I have to do is the next day I got to go go back to my rankings and be like, where do I really want to rank a guy like a Thielen, like a Philip Lindsay, like an Odell Beckham? Because if they do slip, like you said, you know, when will you when will you really be willing to take them? I wouldn't be comfortable with Thielen unless he was my fourth best receiver on my fantasy team. That's kind of where I'm at with him. So him and Odell Beckham, I don't want them as any of my top three guys. Wide receiver four, wide receiver five, then maybe they offer offer a little bit of upside in that case. So let me ask you this, because I know you do a lot of drafts and you have your rankings right next to you. Now, I'm guessing that after you've done you know so many drafts, you realize that you're just wrong on a guy or you're just completely right on a guy. So let's just say, you know, you've gone through eight drafts now, 10 drafts now, or whatever you've gone through, 
and you're like, you know what, this guy I have here, but nobody has drafted this guy in this position. Like he's just gone so much lower. Like, does that make you, does that actually make you move the guy down or, or, you know, vice versa, move a guy like way up. So how do you treat, you know, your rankings compared to, you know, after you've done so many drafts? I don't really change. I don't change the rankings. Uh, what I'll do, if anything, is I'll, I'll move a guy up because I'm like, okay, well, ADP right now says Jerry Judy is wide receiver 30. But if you're actually doing like underdog best ball drafts, FFPC best ball drafts, or DraftKings, Yahoo, et cetera, if you're actually doing like real mock drafts with other people, uh, what you're going to notice is Jerry Judy's really going as like the 15th or 16th receiver. So the, the ADP sometimes takes a while to actually calculate and catch up. Uh, so there's a lot of drafts I've been in where Judy's gone in round four and I'm sitting there with like round four pick six. And I'm like, man, like I've got Judy ranked very high and, and I still got sniped. Someone still took him before I wanted to take him. Uh, in that case is I'll start to th- really, where really is the market? Because every draft is different. As you know, a lot of home leagues is more casual players, unless you're in like a higher stakes league. I think it really depends on like knowing your league mates. How is the draft unfolding in front of you? Are a lot of wide receivers going off the board early? In that case, then you know, like, hey, I've got a guy ranked really high. Maybe I do need to take him in this round because I can't even wait for him to get near his ADP. I know he's going to go before that. And I've seen that with guys like Jerry Judy and Chase Claypool, which is why I aggressively put them in that tier with those other top 20 receivers. So T. Higgins, another example. If you would have been drafted in like July or June, T. Higgins was going as like wide receiver 30, even behind Jamar Chase. But now T. Higgins, like you you won't see him go off the board past like wide receiver 12, 13, et cetera. Uh, and, I, and I agree with that. I think he, that potential for him is there. So I know I've got to take my stance on him when he falls to me in a certain draft to get him. So uh, that those are the reasons why I might be a little more aggressive or a little more passive on guys. Because if you're in a sharp draft, if you're in drafts where other guys, they're not just blindly following an analyst rankings, uh, you need to be uh, you, you need to have conviction on some of these guys, or else, frankly, you're just not going to get them. Now, you talked today about some players that were cut. Uh, one of the guys I drafted when he was with Houston was Kiki QT. Uh, he's out of town. You mentioned him, and then you had mentioned a couple other moves that happened. Like, is there anything that surfaced over the last couple of days that you know kind of like you know perked your ears up a little bit? Yeah, I think the main thing. Well, with Houston. I think Tyrod Taylor is like a capable quarterback. I, I have Brandon Cooks right out, right, right outside the top twenty-five, and he's a guy I was actually a little higher on. It's just that, like with the Texans, they're like they're just a dumpster fire from the ownership down to the coaching. And like, how long are these guys going to go? What, what if they actually win a couple games? Like, I don't think ownership wants them to win games this year. And I think that like even if like they do well out the gates and surprise people and are competitive. Uh, I think that the ownership might bench guys. Like they might say, "Hey, Brandon Cooks, you played enough this year. You know, you're done." Hey, hey, Tyrod, we're gonna put the we're gonna put the four string rookie in Davis Mills or something like that. So I'm a little bit uh, cautious about the Texans, even though I do like uh, Brandon Cooks a lot um, overall. But I, I think with that, like you know, Kiki QT leaving there, Nico Collins is a rookie wide receiver I really like a lot in Dynasty. His athletic profile pops off a lot when you look at a lot of Dynasty rankings across the industry. Uh, Brandon Cooks, I think the air yards were there last year. They're going to be even more there this year. And Tyrod Taylor, I mean, he, he made Sammy Watkins a, a viable fantasy wide receiver as a deep threat when he was starting in, in Buffalo for all those years. So I, I think he definitely could do that with Brandon Cooks again. And with a, with a defense so bad, you're going to see a lot of negative game scripts there too. So 
I am pretty high on Brandon Cooks compared to the market. That's why I had him at the top of tier four. Uh, but but those are the caution flags I have with a guy like that. Uh, but I think overall, uh, T.Y. Hilton recently, I think he's going to miss maybe the first uh, four or five games of the year. He was put on injured reserve, I think, with a neck injury. And I put out a tweet where I think, you know, Michael Pittman and um, Paris Campbell are two guys that I, I was already high on already. Uh, I've got Paris Campbell way above market, man. Like, I've got Paris Campbell as wide receiver 40. He's going. He's getting drafted ADP as wide receiver 76. So uh, he might be actually the number one guy if you look at the – if I look at the top five tiers, top six tiers. Um, yeah, I mean, that's – yeah, all the way down to wide receiver my top – my top 75 wide receivers, the highest guy I'm actually on is Paris Campbell. I mean, he was a guy that his profile out of college was that he's an athletic slot receiver and he's going to be able to be a target monster. And now that we're seeing Carson Wentz looking like he's he's going to be there for week one, I'm not super high on Wentz as a quarterback, but I'm higher on him than a Jacob Eason would be or a kind of a non-experienced rookie. So I think Paris Campbell, if he stays healthy, he's going to be the number one receiver in that offense. I think it'll be a 1A 1B situation with Michael Pittman. And the fact that T.Y. Hilton now is going to be gone for at least one or two months this year, uh, uh, to me, it's all systems go on Paris Campbell and Michael Pittman. I've got Michael Pittman slightly higher than ADP right now, but to me, Paris Campbell's a guy that you could wait a long time and he'll still be there on your draft boards. Uh, you know, you could get him in round 10, I think, pretty easily. And, that, and that's a great value there because I think he could easily be in the top 25 receivers if he stays healthy this year. I think that's one of the things that Carson Wentz really hasn't had. He's, you know, he hasn't really had elite, you know, type of wide receivers. And then you go back to, you know, who T.Y. Hilton had, you know, the last couple of years of his career where he was with Luck and then it was Rivers. So you got to wonder if a guy like, you know, a guy like Wentz who is now missing time, you know, repetitions with T.Y., if he even looks for him once he actually gets rapport with, you know, guys like Pittman, you know, Pasco, all those other guys that are on the team. Let me circle back to one quick thing here, Chris, and I'm not sure if if this is something that you factor in, and it's you know kind of like getting at least getting some exposure on it on on a on a team, not on a particular guy. But let's just circle back to that Odell Beckham kind of thing. Like, let's say you don't have a Chubb, and let's say you you didn't take Hunt, and maybe you don't have a Landry, and maybe you're you're not looking at taking Baker, but maybe you end up with like you know you're you're kind of thinking about it, and it's like you know I could take maybe Baker you know, really late for my second quarterback. And maybe Odell does, you know, fall on your lap. And then you're like, you know what, maybe I can do this. So do you kind of look at guys like that, um, that fall on your lap that maybe you really didn't want nothing to do with, but you realize like, you know, as you, as you've drafted throughout, you know, the last couple of weeks, you know, that you don't have a whole lot of exposure to a specific team. Is that something that you would consider to say, you know what, let me just take this guy, even though I'm not super high on him. I don't have a whole lot of exposure on a team. Don't like this guy. Maybe I could stack him somewhere. Like there has to be like something that that's going to get you to kind of pull the trigger on a guy that you really just don't like, right? Yeah. To me, this like how many how many season season long managed leagues are you doing? I, I don't think anyone's on average doing more than like I, I do like six or seven. That's already a lot. People think I'm crazy for that. I know guys that do like twenty, thirty. So it really depends on like what perspective you have there. But I know a lot of people only want to do one. They only want to do two. I think if you're only doing one, two, even three leagues, like get the guys you really like. You know what I mean? Like don't use the rankings blindly. Even my rankings. Don't use my rankings blindly because if you've been listening to our podcast, you know that I don't even use my rankings blindly. It's all situational. Like what type of roster construction do you really want to go after? 
do you want to stack guys? Uh, and yeah, I mean, like the Browns were, I, we had this conversation last year. You're like, Hey, look, like you're not high on, on, you know, you're high on Kareem Hunt. You're high on, on, on other guys. Like, shouldn't you be drafting some of these players? And I'm like, you know, there's certain offenses that I really just don't want a part of when it comes to fantasy football. Uh, I think overall, when it comes to like exposure levels, that's something you really only want to focus on with best ball. Uh, you know, we brought up best ball a little bit towards the end of our running backs episode, but here's my advice. If you're listening right now and you made it this far into the podcast, if you're not an underdog already, download the underdog app. This is no affiliation here. Deposit like 25, 50 bucks and you can do the $5 best ball tournament. It's called the puppy three. And you can draft, if you put in 50 bucks, you can draft 10 teams and see the type of guys you start to get on your team. And then they have a, a section called exposure and you can look at like what percentage am I getting of certain players? And it'll break that down for you. Be like, oh, I'm drafting too much Giovanni Bernard. I'm drafting too much Jalen Hurts. I'm not drafting enough AJ Brown, uh, things like that. So if I was doing a lot of best ball uh, entries into a tournament, like in this tournament, for example, you could put up to 150 entries. For me, I think maybe I'll do like 20, 25 entries, really not that much. And I'll look at my exposure levels a little bit. But in, in those cases, maybe I'll be like, oh, you know what? One one or two of these teams, I'm going to do a Brown stack. And I'm going to stack Mayfield with, uh, you know, Jarvis Landry and Donovan Peoples-Jones with a late pick or something like that. You know what I mean? Like maybe I'll sprinkle in, like, if I have 20 teams, I'll have, like, 5% exposure on a certain guy I don't like because that means I have them on one out of my 20 teams. So that's really the only reason I'm ever looking at exposures in terms of that, of like getting guys I don't like is, like, just for my best ball portfolio – but if you're just doing a couple home leagues, uh, first of all, this might be the most important thing, but I've heard so many people tell me that, that when they do multiple leagues, they're afraid to draft certain guys because they don't want to have a guy on one fantasy team and then go against that same guy in another league. And like that is like one of the worst approaches you can have to fantasy. Like there's so much variance. Like you can easily win both of your – if you're in two leagues – and you have DK Metcalf in one league, and you're going up against him in another league, you can easily win both those matchups. So don't think of it like that. Like, spread it out a little bit. Like, just because, like, you know, you're afraid to, like, not have DK Metcalf on both your teams. Maybe you want to take AJ Brown on one team and DK Metcalf on the other because maybe there's a chance one of those guys gets hurt. And maybe there's still a good chance that both those guys smash and finish as top five receivers. So, you know, that's kind of how I look at it in terms of your season-long home league, home leagues that are managed week to week, and then your best ball teams. I think the more entries you have, the more you might take some guys you don't like here and there. But when it comes to your home leagues, take the guys you like and try to spread it around a little bit so you don't have the same exact guys in every single team. So let me ask you one more question before I get your, your tier six and seven, then we can go ahead and close this up. But this is a conversation that I had the other day, and – one of my buddies, he likes to talk about guys that could pop, potential guys that could pop. And he said, just just wait. And he was like, as soon as the waiver wire opens, he's like, go ahead and grab these guys. And our discussion started around, you know, the Baltimore Ravens and how they have some injury concerns right now, um, not just with one guy, but multiple wide receivers on their team right now. And he was like, look, he's like, I could go ahead and use the waiver wire and dump some of these junk guys that we know um, are going to end up buried on the depth chart. But why don't I go ahead and target like this number three, number four, who he's going to get playing time. He's going to get some targets and there's a potential that he could end up popping. So how do you, do you agree with that? Like, is that something that you look to do? Uh, and I guess maybe we could just use the Baltimore Ravens as an example. 
But is that something that you also look to do like right in the beginning of the year is say, you know what, maybe there's a potential for this guy to kind of, you know, show out early and then maybe he ends up being like a really valuable player that's actually on your roster that, you know, would be, you know, normally a guy that you, is just sitting on your bench all year long. Yeah, I mean, it's all again, these are situational aspects. I think when you look at you want to look at rookies, you want to look at year two receivers and year three receivers. Right. We're talking about wide receivers on this episode. So let's let's keep it to that. Um, the rookie wide receivers just know if, if if we're not talking about the elite guys we mentioned earlier, like uh, Rondale Moore, Terrace Marshall. Those are like some of the elite prospects that we're talking about that I have ranked in tier four. You know, I've got Rondale Moore very high up above market because I think he will emerge as the clear number two option in that passing game uh, b- behind DeAndre Hopkins uh, and Terrace Marshall, same thing in, in the Panthers offense. Like he could easily uh, duplicate and exceed what Curtis Samuel did in that offense last year as well. Uh, so, so those are guys that I'm already higher on than the market, but you have to know that it might take a couple of weeks for these guys to really start getting their footing down and, and to really start exceeding above expectations. So uh, know that certain guys like I want one example I have is like Rashad Bateman. He was put on injured reserve, but he was considered one of the elite wide receiver prospects coming into the draft. And if you put him on that offense, like I, in terms of prospect talent wise, like he's going to be the most talented wide receiver prospect that Lamar Jackson's ever had on his team. And frankly, it's not even close. So Rashad Bateman to me, not only is he a dynasty target, but he's one of the few guys that like I'm willing to take with one of my last picks. If you have an IR spot, especially on your on, on your roster, to where this guy when he plays, you know he's he he could easily challenge Mark Andrews for the top receiver target role overall in that offense, and he has the explosiveness to play all over the field. So uh, I th- I look at a guy like Rashad Bateman, where like the draft capital, like we talked about with running backs, like this guy was drafted early for a reason on this team, and they're looking for ways to get him involved. So he's a guy right now that, that I've got about 20 spots above market because people aren't taking him because he's on IR. So if you have an IR spot, he's a guy that I would love to throw on there, uh, you know, Rashad Bateman because of his talent, his draft capital, and the situations where there is no clear wide receiver one in that offense. Marquise Brown, a guy I'm not very high on, I, I, I'm just – he's struggled to be a number one receiver. He's more of a small, gadgety type of player – that Lamar Jackson hasn't shown the, you know, really the the willingness to throw him consistent targets from game to game. I think Bateman is that guy, and if he comes back healthy from IR over the course of the season through the middle, later parts of the year, he's a guy that could really emerge and kind of pop. All of a sudden, you drafted him with like one of your last one of the last picks of your draft, and now you're able to start him in the flex and have a real advantage over people uh, that are struggling to find guys week to week off the waiver wire. So he's an example of a guy. Uh, that, that I would take that fits that kind of profile and kind of fits the strategy of managing a team for the entire season. That's interesting the way you kind of broke that down because I guess we were thinking about it two different ways is take advantage of Bateman being out by getting another guy and you're saying take advantage of Bateman being out by going out and trying to get Bateman. So I kind of like that. I think there's, there's two different ways to attack that, but um, that was actually pretty solid. I like that uh, reasoning that you have there. Why don't you go ahead and talk about some of your tier six, tier seven guys? Um, you, you know, you could talk about an ADP, guys you're high on, guys you're low on, and then we can go up and wrap the podcast because I feel like uh, we're starting to run out of some of the premier wide receivers here, but I do want to get your tier six and seven guys that you have listed right now. Well, let me just – I'm going to bring up a couple names, and I think if you 
have any pushback or you agree or disagree on any of them, you can let me know because we got a lot of guys here again. Like we have, we're barely cracking the top 50 in terms of what we talked about on this podcast, but tier five, I didn't mention uh, I'm lower than market. When I say lower or higher, let's go 10 spots higher or 10 spots lower. Let's make that the kind of threshold. Uh, I'm 13 spots higher on Nelson Aguilar. I am lower on five guys in tier five than the market. 16 spots lower on Devonte Smith in Philly. Uh, I'm lower on Debo Samuel. I'm lower on Kenny Galladay. I'm lower on Cortland Sutton, and I'm lower on DJ Shark. So I'm, I'm those are guys I'm quote unquote fading in tier five. Uh, in tier six, guys that I'm fading as well: Michael Thomas, who I think there's a very good chance he might not play at all this year. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, we talked about earlier. Curtis Samuel. Those are the guys I'm fading the most in tier five and tier six. That takes us all the way to wide receiver seventy-five at the bottom of tier six, which is T.Y. Hilton right now. Uh, and then let's talk about guys I'm higher on in tier five. No one I'm higher on uh, uh, 10 spots above market except for Nelson Aguilar. I've got Nelson Aguilar, wide receiver 47. He's getting taken as wide receiver 60. And I think, frankly, that's a mistake because Mac Jones, I think, should be at least as decent as Derek Carr was. I like the offensive coordinator in New England better. They brought Nelson Aguilar in for a reason from Las Vegas. And if he can be the deep field stretcher in that offense with a guy like Jacoby Myers underneath, uh, I'm fully confident that Mac Jones can deliver him the ball consistently. We could be looking at like a late career breakout for Nelson Aguilar, who was a very highly regarded prospect, but really struggled with drops earlier in his career with Philadelphia, if we can all remember that. So I am higher than Nelson Aguilar in tier five. Tier six, guys I'm high on, Randall Cobb, Rashad Bateman, talked about him. And Nico Collins and Deami Brown, two wide receivers. Nico Collins is going to start off as a wide uh, as a wide receiver too for the Texans behind Brandon Cooks, and then Deami Brown, he's going to be the uh, the second best wide receiver in, in Washington. There's a great, that's a really good chance of that happening. He, these are two guys that really popped off in terms of their overall talent prospects coming into the draft, and I think they landed in pretty good situations with uh you know at least with Deami Brown being with Ryan Fitzpatrick under center. I think there's a very good chance Deami Brown could outscore Curtis Samuel on the year in fantasy points per game because he's shown that he can be a, a very talented and athletically gifted a wide receiver down the field opposite of Terry McLaurin. So th- those are a couple of rookies I'm really high on in tier six. Uh, and then in terms of tier seven, uh, you, you re- really start kind of getting into the weeds there. So I'll, I'll just kind of leave it at that. Uh, we're already at wide receiver 75 and uh, I, I'm starting to get more uh, interested in the rookies and fading some of the you know low ceiling veteran guys when it comes to these stages of the draft in terms of our rounds 10 through 16 type of draft picks. I don't have much to say about the guys that you were low on there as you were ticking them off. I'm like, makes sense, makes sense, makes sense. I could see that. I could see that. And the guys that you were high on, um, I was kind of in agreement with you as well. Let me just throw two guys at you. How about Jalen Waddle? Obviously he's a rookie. He's going to Miami. He's going to play with Tua. There's, you know, a good relationship there. Um, he was drafted very high, but according to ADP, you know, he's going, you know, somewhere in the 50s uh, in, in some places. So, you know, how do you feel about him? Is there just too many mouths to feed maybe? Or do you think that maybe there's a potential that he's a guy that, that you're going to wish that you might have had? With, with Jalen Waddle, the talent is there. The, 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 the struggle that I have with the Dolphins right now is that they have a lot of talented skill players on the offense. You have Miles Gaskin at running back. Then at wide receiver, I mean, Devontae Parker, he was the wide receiver one last year. He had, he had his stretches where he flashed last season. 
Uh, Mike Gesicki as well, talented tight end, young prospect who, who's kind of shown some ability here and there. Then you add Will Fuller, you bring him in via free agency. I mean, before Will Fuller got suspended last year, he was a he was an elite wide receiver in fantasy. He, he was really popping off with Deshaun Watson as his number one. Uh, and then, you know, a guy like Preston Williams, who was playing well with Tua, is coming back potentially, you know, early part, middle part of the season from injury as well. And then you add Jalen Waddle. There's a lot of mouths to feed in Miami. And that's why I've kind of tempered my expectations a little bit with Jalen Waddle. Although in Dynasty, again, like he's a rookie, I think, talent-wise, uh, you you know, he has a uh, really, really high case of being a high draft pick. I think you can make a lot of positive arguments for him. Uh, I've got him two spots below the analyst rankings right now behind ECR. I've got him eight, eight spots behind ADP. He's a guy that I'm starting to draft a little bit more in best ball. And he's a guy I wouldn't mind reaching for a little bit if I want to do a late stack with Waddle and Tua as my backup quarterback. Um you know, I've got Will Fuller higher. I've got Will Fuller right at market with ADP, and I've got Jalen Waddle as the second or third wide receiver taken. I think I've got, yeah, I've got Jalen Waddle, I think, a little bit uh, in the same area as Devontae Parker. I can't find Devontae Parker's name right now, but it's hard to it's hard to pick between those three guys. And then when you're talking about an unproven quarterback that's going to be throwing the ball with Tua, I think that's when you struggle a little bit in terms of how high can you rank Jalen Waddle. Actually, that was my mistake. I have, I have Devontae Parker – wide receiver 42. I've got Will Fuller, wide receiver 44, and I've got Waddle, wide receiver 51. Maybe I'll move Waddle a little bit closer to the three, uh, but it's almost like the Tampa Bay situation where I want to get the cheapest guy because I think it's it's really a coin flip in terms of which of those three is going to lead the team in fantasy points at the end of the season. All right, so let me just throw two more guys at you. I know I said I was going to give you one more, but I want to give you two. And I feel like both of these guys are being talked about, you know, as the team's number twos, but you know, two guys that people are kind of high on, and that's Hardman and that's Mooney. I feel like some of the cases that have been made for those guys, that they're justifiable. But then I hear a lot of beat reporters, and maybe it's just because they're so closely tied to the team and they, and they know what those guys have done in the past um, that they're just not super high on. But I always tend to kind of lean more towards, like, beat reporters and stuff like that because they just know those teams inside and out. They know those players inside and out. But those are two players that have been, you know, talked about quite a bit. You know, you listen to fantasy radio, you know, you hear Hardman's name quite often, you hear Mooney's name quite often. But I'm not really worried about those guys. I kind of just want to know what Chris thinks. So uh, why don't we close up with these two guys here? How you feeling about Hardman? How you feeling about Mooney? What do you expect from them this season? You know, where do you have them, those guys in your rankings? I don't under, honestly, uh, Darnell Mooney. I don't, I don't get it. I, I don't understand why people are so high on him this year because you're not getting inc- improved quarterback play, at least at the beginning, from uh, Andy Dalton. And when it comes to Justin Fields, let's say he gets under center, I think they already have a clear wide receiver number one in Allen Robinson. And then let's not forget that Justin Fields is going to be running a lot. He's, he's shown the ability to scramble and use that as a weapon. And I think that's going to take away from potential targets to Darnell Mooney. So I've, I've got Mooney at wide receiver 61. Uh, I'm about 11 spots below market on Mooney. Uh, I just I don't see me moving him ahead of a guy like uh, you know Elijah Moore, um, you know Rashad Bateman. As I mentioned earlier, I think he could be the number one in that offense. I think Moore has the talent to be the number one in his offense too. Russell Gage, I've got a couple spots ahead of Mooney because I think the target volume will be there for Gage. I don't know if the target volume is going to be there for Mooney, and he's a guy that like might pop off like for a couple long touchdowns here and there. 
I, I just don't see the target volume being there for him for me to rank him any higher. Um, so I, I don't, I'm not really on the Darnell Mooney hype train if there is one out there this year. I know he's, he's risen up draft boards in some leagues that I've seen. Cole Hardman, I've got him right at market. Well, Cole Hardman's tough, man, because like any Chiefs player that starts for them, he's kind of like the last of that. Like, oh, I didn't get Tyree Kill. I didn't get uh, Travis Kelsey. I didn't get Clyde Edwards-Elera Mahomes. So who's the fifth guy? It's McCole Hardman. I think just because he's wearing that Chiefs red and he's kind of had a couple big plays in the national spotlight here and there, he gets taken at this part, you know, wide receiver 54. But I'd rather the two guys I have sandwiched, uh, you know, McCole Hardman in between, I'd rather have Marvin Jones. I'd probably rather have DJ Shark because I think both those guys potentially could be the wide receiver 1A, 1B next to Chenault in Jacksonville. And frankly, the only way I see McCole Hardman being a valuable fantasy asset for your team is if Tyree Kill gets hurt. So he's like kind of like the Tyree Kill handcuff. Uh, I think if you have Tyree Kill, then uh, grabbing McCole Hardman in like the middle to late rounds, I think that's a pretty solid strategy because McCole Hardman could have standalone value as, as an explosive flex option, but then he also could be insurance at the same time uh, for Tyree Kill, kind of same way you would want to take A.J. Dillon if you drafted Aaron Jones early because A.J. Dillon could have standalone value and be that insurance option as well. So I kind of look at Hardman in that range. I don't have him higher or lower. I'm right at market with him, but uh, I've got McCole Hardman about seven spots higher than Mooney because just the offense alone, the quarterback who's throwing it, the guy who's calling the plays, and just the entire situation in KC compared to Chicago. Like, What, what if Nagy just does what Nagy does and doesn't start fields till like week seven or eight. I mean, would, would, would we really all be that surprised if that happened? I know I wouldn't, and and that's kind of keeping me from moving Mooney any higher than he is right right now on my board. Yeah, it's it's tough for me to – I mean, I made a couple cases against Mooney. You're going to start out with Dalton, and then you're going to move to a rookie. And not only that, a lot of people have actually been quite high on the running back in Montgomery, so I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't see all the love. And then with Hardman – I could understand maybe if it was a different team with a different quarterback. But when you have somebody like a Patrick Mahomes out there, and I could use Rodgers as an example, they're not going to go away from the guys that they don't need to go away from. Like, look, I'm going to get Kelsey the ball. He's going to catch it. I'm going to get Hill the ball. He's going to catch it. Like, I'm going to get, you know, 60%, 70% of my offense, you know, just with these two guys because I'm that good and they're that good. So I just don't see the – the love for Hardman. I, I mean, I understand the position that he's in. It's like, oh, so well, Sammy Watkins left. And it's like, well, big deal. I mean, was, Sammy Watkins might have left because he wasn't getting the ball enough. And we might see the you know same situation there with Hardman. So uh, those are two guys that I that I just, uh, you know, I hear continuously on, on fantasy radio. And, I, and then as they're talking, I'm just coming up with reasons in my head, you know, why I don't want to draft those particular players and why, you know, why I just don't believe that that they should really be talked about as much as they are. I think there's cases to be made against them than, than actually for them. But, uh, Chris, you made a good case today um, that, you know, you're one of the best in the industry when it comes to this fantasy football stuff because you can break it down um, inside and out. We'll go ahead. We'll do tight ends. We'll go ahead. We'll do defense uh, in our next podcast. So, Chris, now we have all your rankings and stuff like that. You could get all 300 over at the bettingpredators.com. Yep. Top 300 PPR rankings available at bettingpredators.com. It's all free. My rankings will be free all season long. We also have our in-season package, which is our premium content package. In that, you'll get access to our DFS strategy. DFS top plays we'll be doing for every single uh, primetime slate, Thursday night football, Sunday night football, Monday night football, as well as my player props, uh, which will be available in audio form podcast version. 
and you'll get those earlier in the week compared to where I was releasing them last year, which was on Sunday morning. If you're a premium subscriber, you'll get access to my player props early, uh, as well as some other really great content that you can check out. Just go to bettingpredators.com backslash premium or click on the premium button on the top of the menu. When you go there, you can see the full list of content you'll get as a subscriber for the entire season from week one through the Super Bowl. It, it comes out to like dirt cheap per month. And trust me, by the end of the first couple of weeks, you're going to be more than happy you made the investment because we're going to really be grinding our asses off to get you the best bets, player props, DFS plays. And we hope to win you a lot of money uh, just as you'll be winning money with us for the season. So that's our goal with that. And then we're going to continue to do free content like with the rankings. We'll have some fantasy content from our team. We've had, we put a little fantasy unit together this year where we're going to have guys doing waiver wire columns, uh, overvalued and undervalued from Donnie, like you mentioned earlier, uh, as well as some other cool stuff too. So we're going to have a lot of great free content. But in my opinion, the, the premium content we're going to offer is going to be more than worth the money, especially compared to the other options you have out there in the industry. So if you have any questions, hit me up on Twitter. You can find me at Mad Journalist. That's M-A-D-D Journalist. If you missed our early bird rate for our premium package, just shoot me a message on Twitter and I can go ahead and hook it up for you for being a loyal listener to our podcast. And, uh, you know, we appreciate everyone who's gotten on board so far. And we're really looking forward to kicking some ass for season-long fantasy, for DFS, and for player props all three this year. So I'm, I'm excited, man. I don't know about you. I'm super excited, man. We got drafts coming up, Labor Day coming up, and then we got football. Uh, college football was you know, hot and heavy today. If you guys didn't listen to the podcast um, that actually dropped today, um, there's games on there for Saturday, Uncle Dave. And uh, we actually got a college football host, which we really needed. Uh, J-Rod, Coach J-Rod, he did a really excellent job on that podcast today. So uh, if you guys haven't listened to that, go ahead and check that out. Uh, make sure you guys go ahead and circle back uh, to go ahead and get the rest of Chris's stuff with the tight ends and the defensive kickers and stuff like that so we can get you guys all ready to rock and roll. Uh, for your fantasy football. But with that said, uh, that'll wrap up the pod. Big thanks to Chris uh, for coming on here, jumping on here, and going ahead and giving out all his wealth of information uh, when it comes to fantasy football. You guys know where to find me on Twitter, sleepyg underscore pregame. You know where to get Chris Dell at the Mad Journalist. And you can find us both on the best sports betting information site on the web, pregame.com. With that said, I'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck. Enjoy those drafts coming up over the next couple days. Hope you guys do well. Kick some ass, and we'll talk to you later.